About five and a half years ago, I was serving at my previous congregation at Eastminster Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina, and I was walking down from our vacation Bible school celebration to our gym to enjoy a dinner to conclude the week together with everyone. And as I walked into the entryway where the gym was, I noticed a very tall African-American man standing with his back towards me at the recreation desk. This guy was huge, probably close to six foot eight inches tall. And when he turned around and looked at me, I realized who he was. It was Xavier McDaniel. Now, for those of you who don't know who I'm talking about, Xavier McDaniel is a former NBA player, also known as the X-Man. The Seattle Supersonics, when they were still in existence, selected him as the fourth overall pick in the 1985 draft. And in his rookie season, he finished second in voting for Rookie of the Year, losing to Patrick Ewing, center for the Knicks. X-Man played small forward and power forward for 13 seasons in the NBA. And there he was, standing right there in front of me. And I have to admit to you, as a huge basketball fan, I was awestruck. So I introduced myself to him, and he did likewise, confirming exactly who I thought he was. And then I asked him, well, are you here for our vacation Bible school celebration? Kind of a stupid question to ask. And he said, no. He said, I own a cleaning company here in Columbia, and I have come. uh, They're servicing the church here, and I've come to help my workers finish up for the evening. Wow. I was impressed by that. And I told him that I was a big fan of his and that I grew up watching him play, even played on my Game Boy as him on my Jordan versus Bird game. And, um, and I told him, I said, you know, if it's not an inconvenience to you, I would love to take you out to lunch one day and to talk to you about your playing career. That would really be awesome. And he said, you know, I would really enjoy that. So let me give you my cell phone number and you just give me a call and we'll make it happen. And I said, okay. (laughs) Well, in the midst of all of this, we were in a transition. The church didn't know we were in a transition, but we were transitioning here to Boone. And we were trying to get ready to move and to get things in order, knowing that we were going to be coming here. And in that transition, I never got the opportunity to hang out with him. So one day when we were here, here in Boone, and had settled in, I received a text message from a friend of mine from the church And he had taken a selfie with him and Xavier McDaniel um, when he was dropping his kids off at the day school there. And he said, X-Man wants to know when you're going to call him and take him out to lunch. I thought that he had forgotten about me, but apparently he had not. So I texted back and told him that I would call him whenever I came back to Columbia for a visit. And that's exactly what I did. Later that fall, I went back there to go on a hunting trip with my friend, and I called him up, and I scheduled a a gathering for us to grab lunch together. I spent three hours sitting with him in the restaurant. It didn't take that long for us to eat, but we sat and talked for hours on end about his playing days. I remember uh, talking with him. There's nothing worse than insulting the person that you're like at all struck by. And I remember talking with him, and I said, you know, I remember when I was a kid in middle school, uh, I remember when the Hornets made it to the, to the playoffs for the first time, 
and they played the Boston Celtics in the first round. And I said, um, and there I was watching that. And I said, and I remember when Alonzo Mourning hit that shot to win the game and sent him to the second round. And he looked at me and he said, I can't even believe you're bringing that up. And I said, what? He said, you know, I played for the Celtics during that game and I was the one he hit that shot over. No, I didn't remember that. But, <laughs> but I do remember, um, it, I have to be honest, I spent three hours with him and it felt like I'd been there for 10 minutes because I was passionate about that. I had watched these players as a kid. I had idolized them. I wanted to be them. Um, and here he is telling me stories about playing with Michael Jordan and against Jordan and with Charles Barkley and with all these folks that were on the dream team and that sort of thing. And it was really cool. It was really cool. Probably the coolest thing that I've ever really done in my life. And as I got to thinking about this, I wondered, have you ever experienced something like that before? And if you haven't, if you had the opportunity to meet any person that you could meet, that you could spend an entire day with them, who would it be? Who would it be? You see, our scripture reading today from John's gospel is somewhat similar to my experience meeting Xavier McDaniel for the first time, although the disciples, in my opinion, get the best encounter imaginable. John the Baptist has come to prepare the way for the Messiah, for Jesus, And he begins his ministry along the Jordan River. And although they are cousins by birth, John makes no familial connection with Jesus the first day that he sees him walking by. Instead, he points at him and he shouts to everyone, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. This encounter takes place by the Jordan River. And then the next day, another encounter happens as well. This time we're told that two of John's disciples are there with him. And when he saw Jesus walking by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. This time, though, his two disciples, after hearing John proclaim this, left John and they begin to follow Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following him, and he asked them, what do you want? What do you want? Now, it's interesting to me that the first words out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospel of John are, what do you want? Or maybe better translated as, what are you looking for? Now, that's a profound question, isn't it? Jesus doesn't turn around and introduce himself by shaking their hands. Instead, he asks them what they are looking for. And I find that this is a loaded question. And instead of them giving him a profound answer, they respond to him by saying, Rabbi, where are you staying? I don't know about you, but their response seems a little odd to me. It kind of sounds like they're asking, where do you live? But that's not what they're asking him at all. You see, they want to follow Jesus where he's going so that they can spend time with him. And so Jesus meets their question with an invitation of his own. And he looks at them and he says, come and you will see. And so they went. 
and they spend the day with Jesus. And John tells us it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. In other words, they spent a full day with Jesus, and I'm sure it was filled with lots of conversation. But I wonder, what did they talk about? Did they ask him about John's affirmation of him being the Lamb of God? Did they ask him questions about Israel's past, present, and its future? Did they ask Jesus questions about God and if God would deliver them from the Roman oppressors? I wonder how it felt to be in the presence of Jesus. What did Jesus say to them? Did he ask them questions? How did Jesus speak to them? What was his tone of voice And did he speak with authority? I can't tell you the answer to that because we're not given any information about their conversation. All we know is that they spent the entire day with him. But we also know what happened next. Andrew left, and immediately he found his brother Simon, and he told him this, We have found the Messiah. And then he brought Simon to Jesus to meet him for himself. See, it's clear to me that by spending a full day with Jesus, they had come to the conclusion that what John the Baptist had said was absolutely true. Everything that happened during their encounter with Jesus led them both to the conclusion that he was the Messiah, that he was the anointed one to come and to save Israel In Jesus, they saw the fulfillment of the prophets and the hope for all of Israel. And in addition, they transferred their allegiance from John the Baptist now to Jesus. Spending time with Jesus changed their perspective and their outlook on life, filling them with excitement to share this good news with Simon. Jesus invited them to come and see, and their eyes were opened to see far more than they ever expected. It's interesting to me because John the Baptist's command to look wasn't just for them to glance at Jesus, it was to gaze at him intensely. It required them to take a closer look at Jesus, to acknowledge that Jesus was there walking by where they were. And it leads them from looking at Jesus to seeking him. And encountering him, they ask him if they can spend time with him. And Jesus extends the invitation for them to do so. Their question, where are you staying, is asking Jesus this. Where are you abiding? Where are you staying? Because that's where we want to be. The Greek word here for staying or abiding is menin, which literally means to abide, to remain with, or to lean into. It's the same Greek word that's used later in John's gospel. In John chapter 15, when Jesus speaks of being the vine and the branches, Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can ever bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It reminds me of the story from Luke's gospel of Martha and of Mary. Jesus comes over to Martha's home, but she is so consumed with cleaning up and getting everything perfectly ready for him and for his guests that she totally misses the point of him being there. Furthermore, her sister Mary is 
sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Now Martha's frustrated because she's a doer with her no-good sister who's just sitting there doing nothing. And so finally, at her wit's end, she comes in and tells Jesus, Look, are you not going to have her help me out? Don't you see what I'm doing, Lord? Tell her to get up and to give me a hand. But instead, she doesn't get the response that she was expecting from Jesus. Instead, he tells her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? This is what Jesus asks all of us. Jesus desires disciples who want to spend time with him. And while many of us profess with our lips that this is what we desire, our lives speak otherwise. Sometimes, like Martha, we get easily distracted with the things that we need to get done, and we forget that we were created to be in relationship with Jesus in the first place. And so we overextend ourselves We become so busy that we do not have time for other things, much less time to seek Jesus on a daily basis. In addition, we keep our children so busy so that they stay out of trouble, and in doing so, we indirectly teach them what our priorities are. They learn busyness from us, as if that's what's most important in life or what makes us feel important. And we justify our priorities by saying, well, there's just not enough time in the day. And so we repeat the cycle day in and day out rather than reprioritizing our schedules. What are we looking for? Many say, well, I go to church. But while at church, they're more distracted by how long the service is going rather than intently looking and listening for Jesus. There are many who refuse to engage in anything beyond worship. Many come to worship sporadically as if to check a box for being present rather than growing in faith and being challenged into discipleship. For some, Bible study is boring. It's not entertaining enough to engage in. See, we say we want to know Jesus, but we aren't committing to seeking him if it demands our time. So Jesus tells us this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What are we looking for? You see, I find that many people are looking for a Jesus who isn't demanding. A Jesus who is okay with being kept at arm's length. A Jesus who's available anytime we need him. Jesus who knows us, but doesn't require us to get to know him. And a Jesus who is quick to bless our every want and our every need. But this is what I would call a fast food Jesus. We try to get this Jesus at the drive-thru. Hoping to just get enough to whet the appetite, but not enough to truly satisfy what we really need. But I find that Andrew and the other disciple were not looking for a drive-thru Jesus. They weren't looking for that moment. Instead, they spent the day with him. 
Much like my meeting with Xavier McDaniel, they were excited to spend time talking with Jesus and getting to know him and also being known by him. Jesus asked them, what are you looking for? And we don't know what they were looking for. It's possible that they struggled with the very same things that we do when it comes to our faith. But when Jesus invited them to come and see, they left differently than when they arrived. Their intentional time with Jesus changed their perspective and their outlook on the future. They had to tell Simon and bring him to meet Jesus for himself. This encounter with Jesus changed their lives, and it was the catalyst that allowed them to follow Jesus daily, learning and growing in faith, not just during his ministry, but also after his death and resurrection. You see, I think that all of us want to be where Jesus is, but we don't know where to find him. And the truth is, is that Jesus is walking by us every single day, but too often we aren't looking intently to see him among us. We know that he reveals himself to us through his word, but too often we leave our Bible sitting on the shelf. Jesus says to us, come and you will see. Open it up and seek him intently. He promises this, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You see, Jesus' invitation to the first disciples is still an invitation for every single one of us. Come and you will see question for all of us ultimately resides in what are we looking for? Are we looking for a fast food Jesus? Just enough to get by? Or are we looking for the bread of life Jesus that wants to fill our hunger and our purpose and meaning in life and who wants to guide us in our daily living? I asked you earlier, if you had the opportunity to meet any person and you were invited to spend the day with them, who would it be and why? Now, I'm not a mind reader, so I don't know who you were thinking about. But what I do know is that if that person was Jesus, I can assure you that you do not have to wait on him because his invitation has already been extended to you. You see, Jesus desires to spend quality time with all of us. The God of heaven, the creator of all that exists, the one who spoke creation into being out of nothing, the God who gave you the breath of life in your very nostrils by breathing it into you, is the God who comes to us in Jesus the Christ in flesh and who makes himself known to us. God is not hiding from us. God wants to be made known. God wants to be seen, and he has shown himself to us in Jesus the Christ. But here's the kicker. We have to open our eyes. We have to look, and we have to seek him. Come, and you will see. Friends, that's a promise. That's an invitation questions whether or not we're going to answer that invitation and to find Jesus where he is.
prayer is that we will all take Jesus up, Jesus up on his offer to come and to see him, anticipating that he will open our eyes and our hearts, just like those first disciples, that you and I might follow him faithfully day in and day out. May it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.